Thank you, Rachel. Thanks, band. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I recognize a few faces, and there's a few new ones as well. It's lovely to be with you. I want to say thank you. Um, Becky and I have absolutely loved being with you for this weekend. But we have truly experienced the Ballymena blessing. Uh, we've been looked after very well by, by Norman and Kay, and their hospitality has been, well, I'm sure it's legendary, but it's been great. And um, I think genu- genuinely, Becky and I would say that we've not experienced um, such a warm and welcoming church for a very long time as we've been around. So thank you for that. I thank you also to people that have come up and told us a little bit of some of the things that God's been showing you or speaking to you or encouraging you with over the weekend. We're only um, sad that we can't stay for open space tonight. Um, I'm sure that'll be a great time because the sharing of what God is doing in our lives is an amazing thing. Testimony is incredibly powerful. Um, We read in the book of Revelation that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and there's something when we talk about what the Lord is doing in our lives that makes, well, it just raises faith in other people. And um, it encourages other people that that is also possible for them. And uh, I've also learned over the years that the sharing of testimony in our own life actually enables us to receive and deeply live in that testimony. It's when you acknowledge that God has done something for you that it like concretes it into your life. And it's like you've drawn a line in the sand and you now know something about God that you have confessed and testified to and you're able to to take a step going forward. So I'm sure that'll be a powerful time tonight as you share your testimonies. I wanted to start this morning by sharing a testimony that came out of our own church recently. Uh, We have a tradition in our church that at Christmas, we always try and get someone to speak in the carol services about how their Christmas will be different because Jesus has met them and changed them. And that's because for a lot of people, Christmas is so familiar, it's traditional, it's... um, often nostalgic and and sentimental and quite easily Christmas for people becomes a wonderful fairy tale that is magical and reminds them of um, some great truths. Uh, So often Christmas is 2,000 miles away and 2,000 years ago but we we always want to bring it up to the present day and say that Christmas is when God invaded his world and he's never left and he came at Christmas and he's still with us and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's still changing lives today. And so let's talk about the continuing impact of Christmas. And we had a young man this year called Dean, who came up and Becky interviewed him. So Dean had got a Christian background. Um, He'd drifted away from the church over his life. He'd um, met his partner, had a young child together. And just before the pandemic began, before, before lockdown, he started experiencing some very unusual and distressing physical symptoms in his life. And uh, he went to the doctors, but the pandemic by then had just started. So the doctors said, you've probably got this bug that's going around. We don't really know what it does. Um, You've got COVID. This is how we're going to treat you. But that didn't make any difference. In fact, the symptoms got progressively worse. And At that time, it was very difficult to see a doctor and to get tests and those sorts of things. So gradually, as he went further and further on, he was getting worse and worse. And eventually, he was diagnosed as having an autoimmune disease. So his body was really attacking itself. And um, that left him with uh, a lot of pain in his body. It left him with um, no energy, very susceptible to other symptoms and other infections. 
Um, he was spending a huge amount of uh, his time in his bed, no longer able to work or look after his son. Really quite distressing. And when he finally got to the doctors and they got to the bottom of it, they were able to diagnose this for him. And so this, unfortunately, this is, a, this is an incurable disease, but it is manageable. We will put you on strong medications. You will be on them for the rest of your life. You probably will have a number of operations that will try and relieve some of the symptoms. But this is it. Now, this is, this is what you've signed up for. This is going to be your new normal. And um, around about that time, as part of these tests, he had been to his local um, health centre. And uh, the nurse had drawn blood. And she's a good friend of mine and Becky's, a member of our church, leads our ministry team. Um, and as far as she can, within the constraints of operating in the NHS, she always tries to turn the conversation around gradually in the direction of Jesus and the church. And so she got talking to him and found out he was into music and um, asked where he'd played. And he said he grew up in church, at which point she knew she was in. And so the conversations sort have of gradually moved. And she said, well, you need, to, you need to go to my church. It's not far from where you're living. Why don't you come on a Sunday? I'm sure you'd love it. So what happened was Dean started coming to church and he had an empower, a powerful encounter with the presence of God. Now, worshipping as we have done this morning, he knew that he was coming home into the Father's presence and God began to move in his life. Two or three weeks later after he'd been coming for those weeks, in our church we have a ministry team and they always pray before the service. They ask God to give them words of, of knowledge and revelation about things that he'd like to do in the service, things that perhaps would encourage someone to come up for prayer. And a, a word was given at the end of the service that said the prayer team think there's somebody here today and struggling with sinusitis and uh, would love to pray for you. Well, that was a particular symptom that he was having that week, getting a lot of sinus pressure and sinus pain. So he come forward, uh, came forward for prayer. And um, my friend Jill, who had taken his blood, uh, also leads the ministry team, and she just thought, I'll get Paul to pray for him because I think they'll hit it off. So I went over and had a chat with him and then we prayed and I saw God begin to touch his body and you know, with that he, he didn't know whether he was healed or not. But he came back the next week and all those symptoms of sinusitis had gone and he just kept coming forward for prayer over the next few weeks. And what was wonderful was that all the symptoms of everything else went as well. So as he gave his testimony in December, just before Christmas, Becky interviewing him, he said, I'm 95% healed. I don't need these life-altering, strong drugs for the rest of my life. I don't, have, I don't have operations in my future. I know that the Lord has touched me. And it was a lovely testimony. And what was really lovely about it was the fact that as he gave his testimony, sitting in the first couple of rows was Avni, his partner, from a Muslim background, never been in church until he started having these encounters of healing with Jesus. And she's come to faith and she now uh, is in our Sunday school children's work every week. Sitting on her lap was little Dylan, who's about six, who was watching his father stand at the front and talk about the goodness of God and talking about the, the scriptures that he was now reading that were changing his life. And, uh, and he thought, okay, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the things that Jesus was doing in his church today, not just one life, but three lives, have been changed and perhaps ripples going out those who heard the testimony that night who'd come to sing traditional carols but heard about the modern day Jesus 
There's something powerful and wonderful about testimony. And I firmly believe that you could get a testimony like that in any church. Because we read in the Bible that whenever two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. But I've also discovered that we get more of those sorts of life-changing, community-changing testimonies when we are open to the operation of the Holy Spirit and we pursue the presence of God. And that's what we as a church have been trying to do in Woodford. I believe that's the heart that is behind the Momentum Conference as well, that there is more. We know there's more and we long to see more in our lives. Um, as well as leading this church called All Saints Woodford Wells in London, uh, Becky and I um, are in the leadership of New Wine in England, which is a group of churches all pursuing the same thing. And at our summer conference last year, uh, we had a wonderful American Bible teacher called John Tyson and talking about revival. And one of the keys, he said, said the key actually to revival is really simple. God comes where he's wanted. The only question is how much do we want him? And as I've been reflecting on that, I have been going back to a very famous passage. It's John chapter 3. In your Bibles, I think it's page 1065 or something like that. Um, but I'll trust you to find John 3. You're in a Presbyterian church. I think most of you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 1, 2, 3, I think you'll probably get there. So John chapter 3. Now, I know what this passage is about. Most of you know this passage as a salvation encounter, but it is, which it is. But it's so much more as well because it sets a, para, a paradigm, if you like, for how God works to lead us into the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. And, uh, well, as I pray, let, uh, let me pray as we read it. So, Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and reflection upon your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd encourage us from your scriptures and that you would entice us, you would draw us to a greater hunger that we might come into greater measure of fullness of life in Jesus and through him. We pray it in his name. Amen. So it says in verse 1, There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, we know Nicodemus is revealed later to be a good man. He's going to speak against the other Pharisees. He's going to urge them to listen to Jesus. And actually, after the crucifixion, Nicodemus is going to come with Joseph of Arimathea. That risky approach to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body, Nicodemus is going to bring the spices. Joseph is going to provide the tomb. We know he's somebody who is truly, truly open to God and eventually will be a believer and a follower in Jesus. But at this point, we don't know anything about him, really. We know only that he comes to Jesus at night. And what, Nic what Nicodemus represents is he represents the old and the familiar. In fact, he's quite advanced in it. He, he is a leader in the God-given religion that the Jews have enjoyed for 1,500 or more years. He is advanced in that. He's a Pharisee. He has been trained in the scriptures. He is a, a man of authority with a position of power. He's on the Jewish ruling council. He has all of these things, but he represents something 
old because he sees in Jesus something new. And he comes to Jesus knowing that there's something missing. And he's saying, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. I think he's perhaps reflecting on his own calling there. Because in your ministry, nobody could do that. Nobody could perform signs and wonders unless God were with him. He doesn't have any problem in believing in the miracles. He just knows they don't happen in his own life. And it's, it's still true that God wants to reveal himself not only through the preaching of his word and the witness of his saints, but also through works of power. If Jesus didn't just teach but also demonstrated, if Jesus trained the disciples not just to preach his word but also to pray in faith for the inbreaking of his power and the transformation of situations, then surely that's going to be the way that mission is going to be today as well. But coming to Jesus by night is an interesting note because it probably means there's a bit of embarrassment going on here. You remember, if we really want the more of God, the key issue is how much do we want it? And often there is um, there's a difficulty that we have to face. That I think we can only really step into more when our hunger outweighs our pride. Where we basically say, I believe there's more. I believe, God, you can do more than I'm knowing or experiencing. Or that we as a church are knowing or experiencing. And we're hungry for that. And we're not ashamed to admit we haven't got it. God comes where he's wanted. And I think, um, although there are some Christians who are just content with the bit of God that they have. And they're content with the Christian lifestyle that they enjoy. And they find the, the attendance in their local church enriching and comforting. They enjoy the presence of God to that extent. I believe there are an increasing number of Christians who are hungry for more. Who've read the books of what God has done in the past. Who, who have read the Bible and believe that there are promises there that we're only dabbling in the shallows of. There's so much more. When we're in a church like this, we can be just so blessed by the the amazing team, by the wonderful heart of the people, by the numbers that you gather in, the facilities that you enjoy, the great teaching and worship as part of everything that goes on here. But sometimes you'll look at that and say, yes, it's all right with us, but there are a lot of other churches that are struggling. And sometimes you look beyond that and you say, well, yep, it's great, Jesus has changed our life, but actually you look at your community and you say, there's still so much more that needs to happen. And it's great what God is doing in the nation, but if we're honest, the nation is a mess. And there's a hunger. We need more. We shouldn't be embarrassed to admit the poverty of our experience and our lack of power. We should lament it and we should let it lead us again to the feet of Jesus. So although I believe that this is a story about salvation, in it, we're reminded that this is the way that God works. We have to admit our lack and come to him. There's an old phrase that's really helpful, the way in is the way on. So as you came to Jesus through the cross, so you go on in the Christian life. You don't come to Jesus in the cross and then leave all that behind. The children of Israel didn't cross the promised sea, uh, didn't cross the Jordan River into the promised land and then camp on the banks. There was a land to explore. There was a land to press into and enjoy. And it's the same in the Christian life. I think many of us, if we read the saints of years past, we recognize that they're living a Christian life that we perhaps aren't 
living. But let's look what Jesus says. So firstly, Jesus says to him in verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. It's a shocking statement. Jesus is saying if you want to step from the old into the new, you need to experience a radical change. It's so radical, it's rebirth. And obviously that is how you become a Christian. But actually to go on as a Christian, we need to allow God to radically change us. Sometimes when people are in a church that's beginning to press into God's presence, they say, I'm not sure about this new emphasis on the Holy Spirit. We never used to talk about him that much before. And how can that be right? If I've grown up in the church, how could it be that I haven't heard some of these things? And I've been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, 50, 60, even more years. But the truth is that as a church, we're pretty good at losing truth. Historically, that's been the case. You're a Presbyterian church because for centuries, truth was lost and needed to be restored in the Reformation. And what happened in the Reformation was God said, look, the Bible's not to be in a language only known by scholars. It needs to be in the common language and put into the hands of the people because the Bible is for all the people and God will relate to them all. Not through a mediator, but he will have a personal relationship with each one he wants to love and follow him. And that took a few centuries to, to work out, really. And I believe we're in the middle of another Reformation where God is saying not just the Bible, but also the ministry. I'm not going to minister through the ministers who are paid and trained. I'm going to minister through the whole people of God. I'm going to take the works of Jesus, not just the words, and put them back in the hands of the ordinary people. You know, there's something more that we need to step into. There's a life that we need to possess. I was, read, um, I was reading um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, great Welsh revivalist preacher, amazing Bible teacher, and came across a quote where he said, I do not preach decisions, I preach regeneration. It's a bit like saying, when you come to my house, I'm not going to tell you about the door. I want you to come through the door into the rooms and enjoy what's in there. He's saying it, it, it's great when somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus, but really the idea is that they come into the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. Regeneration. They learn to live that new life. So are we willing to let God bring a radical change into our life? Well, Nicodemus has a lot of questions. That's not a wrong thing. How can someone be born when they're old? They can't get back in their mother's womb a second time to be born. And then Jesus' second response. Truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying is that this new thing is not something you can bring about yourself by turning over a new leaf or trying harder. The new thing is a spiritual thing. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And that will also be true for us as we go on. The way in is the way on. We have to allow God to take over. We have to allow him to do what he wants. Now, God is a God of order, not of chaos. But often we mistake his order for ours. There is an order to the graveyard. It's nice and neat. Everything's in straight lines. But it's not a life. And there is an order to the nursery. 
And if you're a parent and you look into the nursery, or you're a grandparent and you look into the nursery, it's pretty messy, isn't it, really? Quite tiring to watch sometimes. But actually, the order of the nursery is the order of life. Everybody's having fun, everybody's running around, it's a little bit messy, but it's full of life. Which do you think is the order that God wants for the church? It's not the serried ranks of stuff that always stays in its place, but it's the dynamic life of growth and fun and joy. And of course, we can't organize that. There's an old saying that says we can't organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind. We can make sure we're ready to to do the things that God wants. We can make sure that we've dealt with the things that might stop him from coming. But as we grow in God, allowing him to take control in our lives is still a key. The old uh, divines used to preach full surrender. All to Jesus I surrender. And I've often wondered when I sing things like that, whether I ever lie more with my lips than when I'm singing those sorts of songs. They're aspirational. I genuinely want to surrender all to Jesus. And I know the more that I can, the more that I will be able to enter into his joy. Nicodemus at this point, I think he's just completely his mind has just completely broken. He said, how can this be? And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher and you don't know these things. Truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify of what we've seen, but you people still do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And again, as we want to go on with God into more, the way in is the way on. Nicodemus had to change the way that he understood everything. And this is really hard for us, actually, because the, those of us who love the word, as you do, I know, it's hard for us sometimes not to love our understanding of the words. In other words, we come, we come to an understanding, we've read the Bible, we've studied it, we've faced the hard questions, we've come up with answers that satisfy ourselves, we, we're trying to understand God, and I certainly know in my own language and in my own experience that I put God in a box in all sorts of ways. I thought I knew what he was, I thought I knew what he could do, I thought I had him figured, and then I encountered him in ways that made me think again. God was so much bigger. I shared yesterday that the memory verse that I grew up on really was trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I've spent so much of my Christian life pursuing God with my head and leaning into my own understanding. But his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher and they're not ours. Really humbling for me, um, probably the time when my theological heresy detectors were at um, fever pitch was when I was a theological college student training for ministry. Um, and so I thought I was getting my head around this stuff and I knew this stuff. And I had met Becky and I was over in the States, went to her church that was from a very different tradition of anything I'd experienced. And to be honest, I probably sat in judgment on all sorts of things in the service. There's lots about it I loved, but there were a few things that I, oh, I'm not sure about that. Or that's a shame, that's misusing that passage. And I'd done all of that. And then afterwards, we went to adult Sunday school, which they had, the young adults class, and we got into it. And we were reading, studying 1 Corinthians 8. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I don't think I've ever felt more convicted in my life, really. Because actually, the truth was, those people had something I didn't. 
And they understood things I didn't understand. And for all my frameworks, for all my theologies, and for all my systematics, you're Israel's teacher, you don't understand these things, Jesus said. Part of the challenge of going on with Jesus into the more is allowing him to teach us new things. Or sometimes teach us old things, but in a new way. That's what growing in circles is about, by the way. It's about encountering truths we know already, but encountering them in a more profound way so they can be truly life-changing. Now, I believe that we all want more, and we need to let God do something new. We need to let him take control. We need to allow our mind and our understanding to be stretched. But the way in is the way on. Just as you came to Jesus, that posture of, I've got nothing, you've got what I need, and you're graciously going to give it to me. That posture is the way on. And so Jesus starts to talk about what he's done. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And John then comments, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Such a famous verse, we all know it. What it basically says is that God loves to give us the life of eternity. Eternal life is not something you get when you die, although you do. Eternal life starts now. That's what Jesus says consistently through the scriptures. As we step into a new relationship with him, eternal life starts now. But few of us perhaps are doing anything more than living on the shallows of it. There's so much more for us to step into. So I'd love to pray for you this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come back. Um, as is your practice, there will be the opportunity for you to receive prayer for yourself personally. Um, but as we prepare to worship, perhaps if we could stand. And let's take this opportunity, perhaps in our hearts, to respond to the invitation that's there in the preaching of God's word. Jesus said, I have come in order that you might have life, and life in all its fullness. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us increasingly to possess the fruit of the promised land of life in Christ Jesus. Not to be content with what we have attained, but to press on, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. To count all things as nothing that we might possess the thing that is everything. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the humility to recognize the poverty of our experience to grieve the lack of power in so much of what we do we confess our satisfaction 
we are too satisfied with too, too little. Living in shacks when there is a palace to move into. Now I pray, Lord, that in us you'd stir up a hunger, a hunger for more, a willingness to be changed, to surrender, and to learn. And even now, Lord, to begin to fill us with life in Christ Jesus in a fresh way. Have your way in us, Lord. And as the Spirit of God rests on you, as he brings you whatever you need this day, whether it's assurance or sense of his love and peace, whether it's his joy lifting you above your circumstances, his power strengthening you to serve him, or his healing shifting sickness and pain. Whatever you're doing this morning, Lord, we say more, more, Lord. How could we be satisfied with anything less than all that Jesus died to win? And so as we continue to worship, let's drink deeply from all that he has. And in his great love, all that he offers to us so freely. And thank you, Lord.